Okay, so like 10 years ago, um, laying in my bed, my wife goes off to church. I wave goodbye, I'm sleeping in. And um, a couple days later, I notice a check that's laying around and it's written out to the church. It's a significant amount of money. I'm like, what, are you crazy? It took me a while to calm down, but I finally did. And a couple months went by and I said, you know, if you're gonna be a Christian and you're gonna go to church, you need to read the Bible. After about a year, we got through that Bible and I started going to church regularly. I threw $5 in the bucket every time. And that, that was about it. But I was still, you know, thinking, okay, this is great entertainment, $5 for entertainment, because some of the jokes were pretty good. Maybe a year went by and they had the uh, message on tithing and it talked about Malachi and how God says to test him. I do a lot of experiments at work, so I understand cause and effect and was thinking, this can't be real. But I went for it. I, I ended up starting tithing, earnestly tithing. One-tenth of my money was going to the church. And it was scary. For a couple months, it was really scary. And I'm like, this isn't working. Then we got a call. I own a small business. Got a call from the US Navy and gave us this extraordinary order. Uh, employed six people for three years that doubled the size of our business. I was blown away. And I looked and I looked and I searched for some cause and I looked for explanations. You know, there's gotta be a, a reason why they came to us and this and that and I just couldn't, couldn't put it together. I just couldn't believe it. The only thing I could come up with is the tithe. And uh, it changed my life. It, it changed me valuing things to me valuing the treasures that God gives to me and me treasuring God. I look at the money and I say, okay, it says on that money, in God we trust. But how much of, how many people really trust in God? I know now that I trust in God. We're in a message series called The Church Just Wants My Money. And today we're talking about the tithe, okay? So we're going to talk about giving to the church. We got to do this because it's in the Bible. We got to do this because this has always been in the scriptures. And so take out your bulletin. In the bulletin is a note page. We want you to pull out the note page. We want you to fill in the blanks with us. Follow along with us. I believe God has a blessing for you in what we're talking about today. You heard the, minute, you heard the testimony of Tony on the video, Tony Collagio. He is a mighty man of God. Uh, he's been with us for about 12, 13 years, and uh, he got saved here. He got baptized here, and I've seen him trust God with a tithe. And just like he said, I remember him telling me that story many, many years ago. About how he thought I was nuts for telling people to give 10% of their income to the church. That sounds nuts. That's crazy. And, and he started doing it anyway, and uh, he took what I'm about to tell you seriously, and the Lord blew up his, his business, blew up his life. He has um, just seen such uh, an amazing amount of God's blessing on his life as he has started to honor God with the tithe. And so when we talk about this 10%, we're thinking about, like, what could we call this message about the tithe? And so here's the deal. The message, part three of The Church Just Wants My Money, title of the message is, that's just 10% true. 
All right, just kidding. That was a bad joke. Okay, never mind. Moving on. That's not the title of the message. Here's the title of the message it's on your notes. It says, trust God first. Everybody say those words with me. One, two, three. Trust God first. This is what it's about. It's about saying, God, I trust you financially. I trust you. I trust that you own it all. I trust that you have authority over it all. I ultimately say that the United States government is not my trust, that my, even my business or my job or my employment is not my trust, that I believe that the God who created me and sent his son to die for me is worthy and he loves me and he's got his eye on me and I can trust him financially. That's what this is about. Last week, we gave you the order uh, of how you're supposed to handle your money as a God-fearing person, as a Christian. Three-word orders, give, save, live. If you're taking notes, fill in the first blank, it's give. Give, save, live. Now, just so you know, this whole series has been about money because we care about you, and I believe God wants something for you, not from you. Let me say that again. God wants something for you, not from you. He wants to bless you, and he wants to bless you financially, and money is a spiritual issue. Today we're talking about give, but next weekend I have someone co-teaching with me, and we're going to talk about the last two, save, live. So today is give, next week is save, live. Don't miss next week. By all means, please do whatever you can to get here next week. We are going to give you practical and scriptural principles, more principles on how to handle those last two, because, you know, it's not just 10%. It's not a, what I'm talking about today is not a magic pill, okay? It's not just get the 10% and all, all of a sudden money sprouts up everywhere. No, there's other things that we start to manage in our money with God's resources, and the Lord adds his blessing to it. Uh, and so, you know, I understand that tithing and, and, and money is a, is, a, is a spiritual issue, but it's also a touchy issue, and so, you know what happens? I'm getting, I'm getting old, I don't know if you know that. I'm getting old. I got glasses now. Yeah, I haven't been able to see your faces for like years. I don't even know who comes to our church, really, seriously. I'll walk up to people and I'll say, hey, how you doing first week here? They'll say, no, three years now, Pastor. Thanks for noticing. So I got these glasses so I can see your faces. Hello, everybody. You're so much clearer. And I can watch those of you whose eyes start to twitch as I start talking about this tub. Okay. So we're going to talk about this because it matters. Did you hear the story about two guys that were on a shipping, on a fishing trip, and they got marooned on an island, and they ended up on this island uh, deserted, no one there. They realized they were stuck, and it looked hopeless. One of them was an atheist. He's pacing back and forth. The atheist is freaking out. He's like, I can't believe this. I can't believe we're going to die. This is the one going to find us. The other guy is sitting there. He is totally calm. He's just sitting there basking in the sun, getting a good suntan. And the guy, the atheist says, what is going on with you? Why aren't you worried? He goes, hey, I'm a Christian and I tithe 10% of my money. The guy says, oh, you Christians and your Christian nonsense, that religious mumbo-jumbo, that's not going to work. Don't you know it's not going to do anything for you here on this desert island? He goes, no, no, you don't understand. I make a million dollars a year, and I tithe 10% to my local church. Believe me, my pastor will find me. (laughs) I just want to say that is my promise to all of you. Amen. I got your back. All right. I'll check the tithing record first, and I got your back. Amen. (laughs) 
<laughs> just kidding. Okay, Genesis chapter 28. We're going to look at a guy who learned how to tithe. And listen, he learned how to tithe and nobody told him to tithe. Nobody. No preacher got up on a stage and said, hey, start tithing. Nobody ever told him that this is the principle. He just started doing it. He started doing it because he experienced the goodness of God in his life, changed his life. He started honoring God financially first in his life. And God added tremendously to his life. His name is Jacob. Somebody say Jacob. So Jacob has this experience with God, changes his life, and it changes his life financially. We're going to look at that in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 and following. Would you stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 and following? Here's what the Bible says. Jacob left Beersheba. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place, and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder. Better translation here of that passage is there was a stairway. And there was a stairway set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, check this out, the angels of God were doing what? They were ascending, and they were descending on the stairway to heaven, okay, and it says this, and behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south, and in you, Jacob, and in you, and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, God says, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took stone, took the stone that he had put up under his head set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. That's an Old Testament way of consecrating something for sacred purposes. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of that place first was called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up shall be for a pillar shall be God's house. And this is the last line he says, listen. And all that you, all that you, God, give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name we ask, speak to us. May we hear your voice. May my words be your words. Lead us forward in these next few moments. May we see Jesus. In his name we pray, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. So Jacob and his dream. Jacob is a guy we can all relate to, because you know why? Jacob was not a good guy. (laughs) Jacob was a bad guy. The story of Jacob is made for a movie. I mean, this guy comes out of his mother's womb. He's the second of twins. Some of you know this story. He's the second of twins. The firstborn son is named Esau. Esau comes out of his womb, and then wouldn't you know, holding on to his brother's heel as he comes out of the womb is Jacob. And, you, and it's just like sending a message for the rest of his life that this guy is going to heel grasp for the rest of his life. In other words, he's going to go get what he sees others having so help him God. I mean, that's his mantra. That's his MO. And we see that he grows up and he just becomes this 
Huge taker, this, this bad dude. You don't want to do business with a guy like Jacob because you know you're going to get the short end of the business deal, okay? He grows up in his father and mother's house. His father's Isaac, whose father was Abraham. His mother's name, Rebecca. He has a twin brother, Esau. Esau's like the man's man. He's the outdoorsy boy. He's the guy who likes to hunt, fish, and kill. Anybody like that in this house? You like to hunt, fish, and kill? It's like 69 days until hunting season or whatever it is. And you're just looking forward to killing something and eating it. Well, that was Esau. Esau was like the original Bear grills. Come on, somebody. Man versus wild. Esau versus wild. And then, and then on the other side, how many know you can have twins? You can have siblings from the same parents, and they can, compete, they can be completely different people, right? You got Jacob on the other side, and Jacob is the indoorsy boy, right? He likes to knit. He likes to sew. He likes to cook. He likes to bake. He likes to make frosted cupcakes with little designs on them with his mom. Like Jacob is the original Martha Stewart, everybody. That's what we're talking about with Jacob. And his mom loves him and dad loves Esau. And this family is disjointed, is dysfunctional. If you think your family is dysfunctional, you ain't got nothing on Isaac and Rebecca. All right? So... Be blessed, you're probably better than them. Anyway, mom loves Jacob, dad loves Esau. One day, the boy uh, Esau, he's out hunting. He doesn't come back with anything. He's starving. Well, he comes home, and there's Jacob, and he's got his stew. He's cooking. He's got his apron on, kiss the cook. You know, he's doing all the things, right? And he's just happy about his food. And Esau says, give me some stew. He goes, I'll give you some stew. Uh, Sell me your birthright. And the birthright was an ancient way of getting the father's blessing, which meant you get twice the inheritance of everybody else in the family. And so this guy's always wheeling and dealing. He's always heel grasping. And Esau is impetuous. You know, he just, he says, fine, what good is my birthright if I starve to death? And, you know, he kind of exas- exaggerates his problem and, and, and he sells his birthright to Jacob and Jacob swindles his brother out of his birthright. Well, years go by and then what happens is another incredible story that Isaac, the father, is getting old and he's having a hard time seeing, much like your pastor. And he's um, going to give the fatherly priestly blessing to the oldest son. And so he tells Esau, go get me some game, make it the way I like it. And when you come in with the game, I'll eat it and I'll give you the fatherly blessing. Well, Rebecca overhears this little conversation between the two men. She goes, gets her favorite boy, Jacob. And she says, Jacob, your father's about to give Esau the fatherly blessing. Lest you and me partner together, we'll Trick the old man, make him think you're Esau. You'll get Esau's blessing and bada bing, bada bang, bada boom. You get all that you get for being the firstborn son. And, and this is just a, such a dysfunctional family. Like I said, you should read the Bible. It will make you feel better about your jacked up life. Okay. And so they do this. Uh, they put animal skin on Jacob and they give him Esau's clothing. And he comes in with this freshly cooked meal before Esau gets there. He says, dad, I'm here, Esau. And the father says, it sounds like Jacob. He goes, no, no, it's Esau. It's Esau. He goes, come here quick. And he brings him quick and he smells his clothes and it's his clothes of Esau. So he smells Esau's smell, but he hears Jacob's voice. And it's just a little spiritual lesson for you that you need to learn how to hear more than you smell, taste, touch, or see. Anyway, Isaac ignores what he hears and he follows what he smells and he says, fine, I give you the blessing of the firstborn son. And right there, bing, bang, boom, Jacob has stolen the blessing from Esau thus a second time. Esau comes in shortly afterwards with his freshly cooked game. 
And he says, here I am, dad. And, and Isaac starts trembling. He's like, what are you talking about? I just blessed you. Because it was Jacob. Hasn't he always been a deceiver from the day he was born? And Esau is furious. And he says, I'm going to kill that boy. And Rebecca overhears that too. She was spying on everybody. And she says, Jacob, your father, your brother is going to kill you. I don't want to lose you. He says, she says, go to my old, go to my family's house. It's over in Haran. And wait there until things calm down. And Jacob has to leave his house, leave his family, leave his mom, leave everything he knows. Travel 3,000 miles away, all alone, to a place called Haran. And the Bible says in verse 10, he traveled from Beersheba to Haran. And he comes to a place. Notice the word place three times in verse 11. Place, place, place. And he takes a stone and he puts it up on his head as a pillow. And the sun sets. I want you to see the picture that the scripture is painting. He's alone. Mom's not there. Dad, not there. Esau, not there. Nobody he knows. He's absolutely in solitude. And secondly, the sun sets, and there's no streetlights in those days. I know what this is like when the sun sets and there's no streetlights. I grew up in western Massachusetts. There ain't no streetlights out there. Literally, I was in a town where there was zero, I kid you not, zero stoplights in the whole town. And the sun would set, and man, I'll tell you, you want to talk about darkness, I would invite people from the city over to my house, and they'd be like, whoa, this is scary. It's nuts when it's no lights. He's in complete darkness. And on top of that, he's got a stone for a pillow. Let me ask you something. What kind of a nutcase uses a stone for a pillow? Here's what the, te- here's what the text is teaching us. He's got nothing. He doesn't even have a bag to put under his head. He's got to use a rock. So see the picture of verse 11. Jacob has no one. Jacob is nowhere. And Jacob's got nothing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a place where you feel like life has stalled out for you? I mean, think about it. Up until this moment, Jacob has been wheeling and dealing and moving and shaking and doing all the things necessary to make sure he gets what he thinks life should give him. Working the system, ripping people off, taking advantage of family. Who cares? I'll do what it takes to get where I believe I should be. And now he's cast out. He's alone. And he's got nothing and no one and he's nowhere. And sometimes, if you're honest and I'm honest, we can find ourselves in the exact same place, yes? Where is my life going? I don't see any motion. Where's God? Nobody, nobody's coming to my rescue. Nobody's there. Why am I always alone? Maybe that's you. We've talked about this ad nauseum at this church, about the loneliness epidemic in America. Loneliness, loneliness, loneliness. The more stuff we have, the more technological stuff that we have, we get more lonely and more isolated, and, and we feel like there's really no one there. And this is exactly where Jacob finds himself. And wouldn't you know that it was in that moment where he feels like nothing is happening in his life that, bam, God shows up. The very next verse. And he dreamed. And behold. Somebody say behold. Three times in this verse, in the next verse, behold. Behold, there was a ladder reaching up to heaven. Again, better translation, stairway to heaven, in the words of Robert Plant. Amen. Stairway to heaven. And then he says, and then behold. Somebody say behold again. There was angels 
moving up and down, up and down this stairway. They, they were active. They weren't just still. They were transmitting the blessings of heaven down to earth and reporting back to heaven the, the events of earth. And, and then behold, the last behold in the next verse, behold, the Lord stood above the stairway. And I want you to see this. I want you to see the contrast between verse 11 and verse 12 and 13. That when it seems like nothing was happening for Jacob, don't you know God was sending him a message? Jacob, I know you got nothing to know and enough, and, and you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. But I want you to know that I'm still active and I'm still working behind the scenes. If you're taking notes, that's the first point I want you to write down. Point number one is this. Heaven is more active than we realize. Heaven is more active than we realize. You understand there's a spiritual realm all around us, yes? This is not all that there is. Even people who like to deny that there is such a thing as Jesus or God or all that stuff, they still believe in spiritual weirdo stuff. I mean, come on, we know this, right? We, 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 we were like hypnotism, you know, um, certain massages. We want, we want to experience the spiritual. The reason why is that we reason why we have that quest for the beyond is because there is a beyond. There is a beyond. And here's what God was saying at Jacob. I know it feels like your life is stalled, but I want you to know I'm still working. And some of you, you need to hear this. God is still working when nothing else is working. Amen. God is still active when everybody else is inactive in your life. Do not give up hope when you feel stalled because God is not done with you yet. That was good preaching and most of you missed it. All right, just shout an amen. That'll help me out a lot, all right? So anyway, he sees the stairway. We have a picture of what it might have looked like. It's a Mesopotamian ziggurat. These are all over the ancient world. This is more likely what he saw. This is actually more likely what the Tower of Babel looked like. I want you to think about this. He sees angels going up and down. You know, the Bible says that every time an angel shows up, I used to, I used to pray uh, to see an angel. I used to say, Lord, I'd love to see an angel. I stopped praying because I realized something. Every time an angel shows up in the Bible, he has to say, fear not. Do you know Why? Because evidently, angels are scary suckers. So they're looking at you like, wherever they show up, you're like, what? Fear not. Don't chill out. I'm from God. I'm here for you. And every time I've read a book about somebody who's experienced an angel or visitation, they all talk about overwhelming figures, powerful figures. Like, get Cupid out of your mind right now. Get Hallmark card nonsense out of your mind. Tom and Jerry, demon on this shoulder, right? Uh, angel on this shoulder. Angel was always like a little bit wimpy, like little thing dressed in white. No, think powerful, mighty angels of the living God that would overwhelm you if you ever saw them. Here's why that helps me and helps you. Because I believe there are angels working for God's people right now. There are angels working for this church right now. There are angels around my family. I know it because I ask God, set your angels around my kids, protect them from harm. I believe that the angels of God are working for God's people. And if we ever needed to hear that message, it is today where people are driving trucks into crowded streets and people are shooting each other and the Congress is fighting each other and the president is hated and loved on both sides and the country seems so divided. I'm glad my citizenship is in heaven and his mighty angels are watching over his 
his house. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. Now, you need to know that just because things aren't moving in your life, it does not mean heaven has stalled out for you. God's angels are moving. They're connecting the blessings of heaven to the realities of earth. But I've been there too. Where it doesn't feel like he's moving. Truth be told, it was in this church a couple of years ago. and We were looking for a place to buy, looking for a home, permanent home. We were leasing, still leasing at the old place. And every time we would find some place, it's like we would get about two clicks away from buying it or purchasing it. And someone would come in and sweep it under, from under our feet. Or our door would close. Some of you remember, because I would make announcements like a fool. Oh, we're going to go after that property. And then it would be gone. And I, was just, I got to the point where I wanted to despair. And truth be told, I wanted to move. I was thinking, Lord, I've taken this church, obviously, as far as I can take it. Here's where I was. Life stalled out. And yet, what I didn't realize, but I realize now, is God was working through all of those stallings keeping this building not sold, keeping the owner of this building to get more and more desperate to give us a deal for this place. That I believe now more than ever because of the experiences that I had, and you need to hear it too. When you don't feel like it's moving does not mean life is not moving. And sometimes God needs to bring you to a place where nothing seems to move so that you can come to the end of looking to everybody else to do for you what only God can do for you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, I love it in the message translation. Matthew 5, verse 3, it says this, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Some of you are like, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Why? Because with the less of you, there is more of God and his rule. See, you get to those dry and stalled out places so that you can lift your eyes above the world and seek God and know it was only because of God that you got where you were. Amen. Heaven is more active. And what I'm saying to you is this is what Jacob realizes that causes him to start honoring God with the tithe. Number two, though, if you're taking notes, is this. The Lord is closer than we expect. See, the Bible says that the Lord stood above it. The Lord was at the top of the stairway. Now, if you have your notes out, you'll see. I put a little three next to the Lord stood above it. The reason why is because if you have a Bible, they also put a little notation there. And in the footnote of the notation, it says the Hebrew is just vague enough that it could be translated, the Lord stood above the stairway, or it could also read, the Lord stood above Jacob. So great question. And why does the Bible do this? Well, it's an ancient book, and we have a hard time sometimes translating it word for word. But, but that's the scientific reason. I think there's a spiritual reason. Is the Lord above the ladder, or is the Lord at the bottom of the ladder next to Jacob? I don't think it matters. Do you know why I don't think it matters? Because my Bible tells me that Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the top, he's the bottom, and he's the connection point from heaven to earth. How do I know this? Because Jesus told me, and he told you. It's in John chapter 1. We'll put it up in just a moment. John chapter 1, Jesus is starting his ministry. He's got this follower named Philip, and Philip has a friend named Nathaniel. And Philip is so, like, he's so 
awed by what Jesus is doing. He decides, I'm going to go find my friend Nathaniel. He's got to see this. So he goes and he finds his friend Nathaniel. He said, Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. His name is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And when Nathaniel hears Nazareth, he's like, Nazareth? He says these words. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was like a backwoods town. It's like Western Massachusetts, okay? And Nazareth, a backwoods town. And here's, here's the answer in Nathaniel's mind. Nothing is happening in Nazareth. How ironic that the Lord comes to the town where nothing is happening. Just like here in Jacob's life. So anyway... Nathaniel comes to Jesus, and Jesus sees him approaching, and he says, aha, to, the, to Nathaniel, he says, here's, a, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel's like, you don't even know me. We're just meeting. What are you talking about? And you think, like, why is Jesus always talking so weird? Okay. He says, Nathaniel, I saw you before Philip found you under that fig tree. Nathaniel's blown away. He says, how did you know? And he says, surely you are the son of God. This is conversion moment because, because Jesus, I saw you before anybody got you and brought you to me. And, and, and Jesus responds to him and he says, you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? He says, I'll tell you the truth. In other words, behold, I say to you, you will see greater things than these. You will see, check out the words, Jesus says, heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus is the son of man. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the stairway. I am the connection point between your life and the resources of heaven. Some of you say, I never feel like God is moving in my life. Have you come to Jesus? Because let's get one thing really clear. It's not just God. It's not just God. A lot of people, I believe in God. No, 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 no. Most people believe in God. Have you connected to God? through his precious son, Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him? Because he's the one. He's the one who does not say, climb up these steps and get to me. No, 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 no. Every other religion puts the stairway in front of you and you got to climb. The five pillars of Islam, climb the steps. The 10 commandments of Judaism, climb the steps. The, eight, the eightfold path of higher enlightenment in Buddhism, climb the steps. Even Deepak Chopra has the eight steps to spiritual enlightenment, climb the steps. And every other faith and every other religion is you climbing the steps to get to God. And here's the good news of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, he climbed down the steps to come to you and find you and pick you up and bring you back into the family of God. He's the ladder. And he's the one who spans heaven and earth. The Bible says he fills all things in every way. He's your connection point to the power of God in your life. In fact, you could say it like this, Jesus Christ is God's tithe to you. He's the first and he's the best. And God gave Jesus to you before he ever saw you give anything to him. God is closer than you expect. Number three, Jacob finds out that God is more generous than we deserve. He's more generous than we deserve. Because I don't want you to miss the irony of what the Lord says to Jacob. He says, Jacob, I'm going to bless your socks off. My translation. <laughs> 
I'm going to bless your socks off, man. He says, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. I'm the God of Isaac. The land you're lying on, I'm going to give that to you and to your offspring. And I'm going to multiply your descendants. They're going to be like the dust of the earth. You're going to spread across the whole world, east, west, north, and south. Your offspring shall bless all the families of the earth. Now, let me tell you why that's true. We aren't all Jews. Jacob was, you know, Jew. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We aren't all Jews in this house, but we're all blessed because of the Jews. Because Jesus Christ was the true and final Jew who gave his life, who gave his blood, not just for the Jews, but for everybody who wasn't Jew. And the reason why we are sitting here from all walks of life and all colors and all nationalities and all races is because the blood of Jesus trumps every other blood that's out there. Amen? He, he trumps the power of whatever blood is running through your veins right now. Some of you say, well, my daddy was a drunk and his daddy was a drunk, and so I'm going to be a drunk. No, my friend, the blood of Jesus is stronger than your daddy's blood. And my mother was like this, and my grandmother was like this, and I guess it's just my cross to bear. It's just my pain. It's my curse. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ breaks every curse of every other blood that's running through your veins. You come to Jesus, and God will set you free. Anyway, in you and your offspring, singular, Jesus, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then he goes on. And he says, behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. Translation, I am going to bless your socks off. And he didn't even have socks, so that's ironic. Okay. God is far more generous than we deserve because, listen to me, think about this for a second. What has Jacob done so far to deserve all these blessings from God? He ripped off his old man. He stole from his brother. He's been lying and conniving his entire life. And God finds him and says, Jacob, I've decided I'm going to be good to you. Do you ever look at other people and say, why does God bless them so much? They don't deserve that. They don't deserve, and when they get it, they're not thankful. I deserve, why does God bless people who don't deserve the blessings? Okay, here's why, here's why. You're not going to like the answer. People that don't deserve the blessings are all that he can find. Think about that for five more seconds. Nobody deserves it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. God gives because he's good to people who aren't. Blows his socks. I'm going to bless you. And Jacob experiences the goodness of God. And he wakes up and he makes this vow. It changes his life. 
But when you get a hold of the goodness of God, it changes your life. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about good person Americanism. I'm talking about an experience where you realize just how good God really is. And he says, man, if that's the case, if God's going to be with me and he's going to guard me in the way that I go, and he gives me, check that word out, bread to eat and clothing to wear, and he brings me back to my father's house in peace, then he makes three vows. The Lord will be my God. In other words, I'm going to follow the Lord. Many of you have made that decision already. But the second thing he says is, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. In other words, I'm going to get myself to church and I'm going to worship God. And all of you have made that decision because you're here today. But look at the third decision. And all that you give me, I'll give a full tenth to you. Jacob, I want you to write this down in your notes. Jacob, the taker, became a giver because he experienced the gracious goodness of God. And I would like to say that you can't possibly experience the goodness of God in Jesus Christ and remain a taker. You can't. If you know that he gave his only begotten son for you, it changes how you see your money and your resources. It makes you a giver. And nobody asks him, give a tenth. But this becomes part of the process in which Israel starts honoring God with their tenth. And the Lord blesses Jacob. He goes and he lives with Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban. That's another great story for you to read after this service. He goes and lives, and Laban is just awful to Jacob. Robs him left, right, and center. He does everything to Jacob that Jacob did to Esau. And in spite of all that Laban tries to do, Jacob keeps prospering. Why? Because he knew God was with him. And he honored him with the tithes. And the nation of Israel grows and prospers for centuries, but they forget. Eventually, they forget that God was their source, and they stop tithing. And so Malachi shows up. Malachi, a prophet in the Old Testament, last prophet in your Bibles in the Old Testament, He shows up and he says, listen, you're under a curse. You've taken what's God's and you've withheld it, the tithes. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, Malachi 3.10, that there may be food in my house and thereby, I love God's words here, thereby put me to the test. Test me. And then he says this, and See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour it out for you such a blessing that there is no more need. Honor me with the tithe, and I'll pour out a blessing. Look at all the similar language in Malachi 3.10 to Jacob's experience in the desert. The windows of heaven open. The financial resources coming. God's provision, God's protection. I want to show you why many people Many people in the Christian church don't experience the blessings of God because every time we get paid, how many know somebody's got to be the breadwinner? How many know when you don't make enough money, you say, I just don't have enough dough? Okay, that's a bad joke, but moving on. Here's what we do. We got all these things that we got to pay for. See if we can get these on the screen. All right, all these things we got to pay for, Right? Here's how most people do it. The government comes first. Yes? How much does the government take? 
Just tell me when to, (laughs) the whole loaf over there. Not true. Come on. All right. But you know, come on. When should I stop? (laughs) Yeah, right about there. (laughs) Good, good. Thank you. Government comes and says, we're getting our peace. No matter what. And we give the government first. And then we say, well, I bought things that I didn't need with money that I didn't have to impress people that don't really care, and I'm in debt. <laughs> and I'm going to make those payments. And I'm, now I'm paying $15,000 more for a car because I've decided to pay for it over time. And then I got bills, electric bill. This is, oh, this one. How many know this one's frustrating? The oil bill or the gas bill. The cable bill. Mm-hmm. Right? My wife's clothes. No, just kidding. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, some of you, this is what you do, though. Showtime. I got to have my showtime. I got to watch my showtime. And you're wondering why your kids don't want to serve God because you pay for filth to come into your house. But that's for another message. <laughs> and then I'm, I've got some things that I want to pay for. I got some me stuff I want to pay for. Some fun stuff. And then, you know, people say I should save. So, yeah, that's right. I got to save. And then God gets the scraps. Does that, does that look like a life that believes God owns it all? What, what if we did it differently? What if we lived like God really owns it in the first place? And so... Maybe what we need to do, and this is available for anybody who's hungry after service. (laughs) Father, thank you for my paycheck. 10%. And I've cut my finger, see? That's because it was so cheap that last time. 10% to God. Now, if you, sorry, if you do this right, if you do this right, Okay, you can put God first, you can put savings next, and then you can bump everything else down. All right? That's, this is wonderful. Watch this. 10% to savings. Same thing. Give, save, live. Next week. Then guess what you get to tell the government? What do you get to tell the government? Because you've already given to God and the savings, if you do it right. You get to tell the government, you get less of my bread. It's true. Tax deduction. So now he doesn't take as much as he took before. Whoa. How many say amen to that? Hallelujah. And then, yes, you're still going to pay your debts down, and you're going to pay them fast, and we're going to talk about that next week a little bit. And then, and then bills are still going to be bills, and you're still going to pay those. But, but, you know, you can do what you want with the last three, whatever you want to do with the rest of the bread. But the point is this, is that you're telling God, I believe you own it all, and you are my source, not the U.S. government, not my debt collectors. God, I believe you are my source, and I'm going to put you first because I believe it, and I live it. I got three things about the tithe and then I'm going to be done. Number one, the tithe is the full tenth of whatever you're getting now. So don't say as soon as I get some more money. Don't say that. It's not going to work. It's never going to work. It's never, never, never going to work. You got to start with what you got. You got to start now. Faithful with little, entrusted with much. Secondly, the tithe is a test of our trust in God's ownership. In other words, I am taking your 
your, op- your testing opportunity to heart. I'll test you. I'll see how it works. And that's where some of you are, man. I'll tell you this. Some of you got to walk out this door, talk to your spouse and say, let's do it. And here's my deal with you. Here's my deal. Do it for three months. Give God 10% first. First, before everything else. Because if you wait until everything else is paid, it'll never happen. Watch what happens. If it doesn't work, stop after three months. You have my permission. Seriously. No, no, seriously. Go ahead. Stop. I'm so confident it'll work. It's, it's going to happen and you're going to see God blow up things in your life. Number three, the tithe opens the activity of heaven. The tithe opens the activity of heaven. I think about how when we started tithing as a church, God started working in this building campaign and the building program and everything started just flowing. It's like, it was like something supernatural happened. I kid you not, the income of this church doubled within 12 months of us starting to tithe as a church. Every month we have more tithe than we know what to do with. That's why we're picking up the American Bible Society now. We're going to start tithing to that. Start giving more and more money. Here's my dream for this church. I want the money that comes into this church to touch lives on every continent on this earth. Amen. We're doing things in America. We're doing things in uh, Central America. We're doing things in India. We got a couple, uh, we're doing things in Europe. We got a couple more continents to go. I believe we should bless the whole world through the blessings God's given us. But you need to do this too. Partner with us. Be a part of it. Start trusting God. Take his test opportunity and see if he will not come for come through for you. He's good. He's more generous than we deserve. Heaven's more active than we realize. And Jesus is closer than we expect. How can you go wrong?